America's top diplomat dashing around Asia to tackle hot issues in the region and sharing an important message from his travels. Even as we are intensely focused on the crisis in Gaza, uh, we're also very much uh, engaged and focused on the important work that we're doing in the Indo-Pacific. How strong is the China threat that's unnerving U.S. allies there? A reply from the State Department, NTD White House correspondent Iris Tao asked about China's effort to block an American company from performing in South Korea. And a tug of war between world powers all about ports in South Asia, sitting on crucial trade routes that supply the world's oil. A congressional investigation, are American retirement funds helping a top adversary? Welcome to China In Focus. I'm Don Ma in for Tiffany Meyer today. The U.S. grappling with one global challenge after another. America's top diplomat, Antony Blinken, arriving in South Korea on Wednesday. He's slated to talk to his counterpart about North Korea's close military ties with Russia. That's not the only issue that needs to be dealt with, though. Blinken was in Tokyo on Tuesday meeting with foreign ministers of the G7, world's seven largest advanced economies. The solid unity between Japan and the U.S. is especially critical at this time. The group talked about a wide range of issues, from Israel-Hamas war to Russia's invasion of Ukraine to China. We'll continue to de-risk our economies to strengthen our resilience to push back on economic coercion. We'll also continue to stand up to China over its actions in the South and East China Seas. In the East China Sea, an increasingly aggressive Beijing is unnerving two U.S. treaty allies, Japan and South Korea. The communist regime is on its way to build a world-class military by 2049. And Japan may be nervous about it. It released a defense white paper saying China is Japan's, quote, greatest strategic challenge. Adding China, Russia, and North Korea have become the most complex security environment since World War II. Japan is also shooting for a 13% increase in its defense budget next year, over $53 billion. Chinese and Japanese Coast Guard ships also faced off near disputed islands this year. China and Russia's military jets also entered South Korea's air defense identification zone. South Korea scrambled its own fighter jets in response. Blinken's Asia trip comes on the heels of his visit to the Middle East. The top diplomat sending out one message. Despite the hot war in the Middle East, the threat in Asia is not being forgotten. I think that's uh, evidence of the fact that even as we are intensely focused on the crisis in Gaza, uh, we're also very much uh, engaged and focused on the important work that we're doing in the Indo-Pacific. Blinken's next stop is India. He's set to join the defense dialogue there with Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. At the State Department briefing on Tuesday, NTD White House correspondent Iris Tao asked about China's economic coercion towards South Korea. In particular, ongoing efforts by the Chinese embassy in South Korea to block American performing arts company Shen Yun from performing in the country. Here's what happened. The classical Chinese dance show, which is widely popular around the world, is banned in China due to its portrayal of some human rights persecutions in mainland China. And the State Department told me that they continue to be concerned about such practices by Beijing to use its economic leverage to try to pressure our democratic allies. Watch. 
does it remain a concern by the State Department that in such incidents like this, China is using its economic pressure to influence the freedom of expression in an ally country? Of course, continues to remain of concern. Uh, the PRC has a very clear track record of using um, economic coercion and otherwise in a, uh, in a, in a wide array of countries. Uh, this is, of course, something that we're going to continue to address. Meanwhile, President Biden is set to meet with China's Xi Jinping next week during the APEC summit in San Francisco. Of course, it remains to be seen how issues such as human rights abuses by China as well as China's increasingly aggressive actions toward other countries, including espionage activities here in the U.S., will be discussed. Shenyun Performing Arts is based in New York. According to its mission statement, the performance showcases Chinese culture before communism. NTD investigation revealed that the Chinese embassy in South Korea had pressured theaters there to keep Shenyun from appearing in the country. While Blinken is meeting with China's neighbors, the Chinese Communist Party has been busy ramping up its military ties with Russia. Russian President Vladimir Putin is hosting a top Chinese general Wednesday. Putin said modern weapons will ensure the security of both Russia and China. But he added they do not intend to build a Cold War-style military alliance. The Russian defense minister also met with the Chinese general. That's the second meeting between the two in just 10 days. American investments into green energy could be turning red. Congress is now investigating whether U.S. pension funds are being used to fund the Chinese Communist Party. NTD's Arian Pazdar has the highlights from a recent hearing about ESG funds. The goal of ESG is not better financial performance. It is to force compliance to one view. The House Ways and Means Committee on Tuesday investigating retirement plans being invested into ESG funds. ESG stands for environmental, social and governance. In the past, pension managers had to aim for maximum profit over everything else. However, in 2022, the Biden administration changed the rules, saying they may consider climate change and other environmental, social and governance factors in selecting retirement investments. Numbers now show such investments do bring less returns. They could have had 11.5% return, but they've only had a 4.5% return. That's not keeping pace with inflation. This witness, Jason Isaac, former Texas state representative and director of Life Powered, says such investments do more damage besides hurting returns. Now, Isaac says ESG funds directly play into the hands of the Chinese Communist Party, going as far as to call it the China ESG agenda. He says that as soon as rules changed in 2022, asset managers pulled their money out of American energy production. And they now use those same funds to instead invest in energy production in China. And Isaac explains the consequences of that. Take a look. And we're seeing dollars flow into Iran from China to the tune of 50 to 80 billion dollars because of the ESG agenda. And guess who's going to be buying the refined products that China is producing because they've expanded their refining capacity? The United States will be buying jet fuel, diesel, and home heating oil made from Iranian oil that is funding this war on terror. Republican Congresswoman Claudia Tenney asked another one of the witnesses what people can do to counter the ESG trend. Each of us as consumers need to have our voices heard when we see companies politicizing their business like we saw with Bud Light and Target, that we don't patronize those businesses. Democrats at the hearing often criticized Republicans for what they called wasting time on a hearing about ESG. 
They said there are more important topics to be discussed right now, such as funding the government, for example. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. Or between the U.S. and China, and it all ties back to a seaport in Sri Lanka with a significant geopolitical significance. The U.S. announced over $550 million in financing on Wednesday for a port terminal in the Asian country. That's as Washington looks to curb Beijing's influence in the region. The investment is made by the U.S. International Development Finance Corps, a government agency. The project aims to transform the deep water port of Colombo into a world-class logistics hub. That's really the, the uh, priority of President Biden through his partnership for uh, global infrastructure and, uh, infrastructure and investment, uh, to have high-quality, high-standard uh, projects that respect local laws and conditions, that are transparent, uh, that don't burden uh, countries with debt at a sovereign level, but instead help finance the private sector. The announcement comes as Sri Lanka struggles to recover from a dire financial and economic crisis. China is the country's largest bilateral creditor, having lent out more than $7 billion in loans. Sri Lanka is a key player of Beijing's Belt and Road Initiative, an infrastructure outreach scheme that the U.S. has criticized as debt trap diplomacy. Through this project, Beijing also took hold of another port in Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka borrowed money from China to build the port, but was later unable to pay back its debt. In exchange, Sri Lanka leased the port to China in 2017. China has used its um, economy and its worldwide presence, diplomatic presence, to begin to reshape the world in its own image. Sri Lanka's location makes it a prime target of the push-pull for influence between world powers. The island sits halfway between several trade routes responsible for bringing oil from the Middle East to areas around the world, including China. President Biden is slated to meet Chinese leader Xi Jinping next week. The talks are expected to become the highlight of a global summit in California. Hosted by the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation, or APEC, the organization's members represent 60% of global economic power. Thousands of world leaders and CEOs will attend the conference. Here's NTD's David Zhang with more on what to expect. 20,000 attendees representing 21 member economies will be in the city of San Francisco. But what are the highlights other than heightened security, massive road closures and protests? I think it's particularly significant this year because with the tension between the United States and China, the opportunity to have President Xi meet with President Biden is a very important one. The White House announced last week that U.S. President Biden will meet with the Chinese leader Xi Jinping making the first time the two leaders will speak in person since a year ago. Chairman Xi is facing a lot of pressure of a down, downturn economy in China. He wants American business to, uh, to go to China to make more investment, and he also wants Americans to buy more products from China. Uh, so that's why he's coming. Both sides have been showing signs of easing up the tensions. As I've said since the beginning of my administration, we seek competition, not conflict with China. We're not looking for a new Cold War. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is also scheduled to host Chinese Vice Premier He Lifeng for two days for talks in San Francisco before the start of APEC summit. This all comes on the heels of California Governor Newsom's recent week-long visit to China and meeting with the Chinese President Xi. 
The key discussions of this year's summit will center around trade, technology transfer, and economic development. The United States is very concerned about technology transfer to China. The United States has been very aggressive in pushing restrictions on semiconductors. And that's been a very important issue for us because we're very concerned about the transfer of technology to China, potentially for defense purposes. But others are skeptical of China's position in the economic sector. More than 90% of Americans have negative opinions about China. So I don't think she is going to be very successful to attract a lot of investments to China. While APEC is intended to be an economic forum, political topics do come up during discussions among world leaders, especially when international tensions run high with the current Russia-Ukraine war and conflicts in the Middle East. Meanwhile, San Francisco is aggressively clearing homeless encampments, increasing drug-related arrests to improve the city's image as delegations arrive. Germany is giving the green light of support for Taiwan's top semiconductor maker. The country's top competition regulator just approved investments from three German companies in a new semiconductor plant based in the German city of Dresden. The project has been dubbed the European Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, or ESMC, founded by Taiwanese chipmaker TSMC. Bosch, Infineon, and NXP will each purchase a 10% stake in the plant, with TSMC holding the remaining 70% and operating the plant. It's the Taiwanese company's first facility in Europe and one of just a handful outside of Taiwan and China. Berlin has been aiming to promote its domestic chip industry, which its automakers rely on. The announcement comes alongside a survey from the German Chamber of Industry and Commerce. It notes that of the 3,600 German companies polled, many are planning to invest more in North America, North Africa, the Middle East, and the Asia-Pacific region, excluding China and Taiwan. The caution toward the two comes amid growing tensions between Beijing and the West. Coming up, Beijing has loaned out over a trillion dollars to developing countries as part of the Belt and Road Initiative. Has the outreach paid off for China and its economy? Or is the end near for Beijing's top infrastructure project? We sat down with China economic analyst Antonio Grosefo for his insight. His comments after the break here on China In Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Don Ma in for Tiffany Meyer today. As part of the Belt and Road Initiative, developing countries owe China more than a trillion dollars in debt, and the due date has come knocking. Did China's massive investment pay off, and can the country afford to keep writing checks for developing countries? We sat down with China economic analyst Antonio Grosefo for more insight. And now joining me here is China economic analyst Antonio Grosefo. So according to the latest data, it seems like developing countries owe Chinese lenders uh, at least $1.1 trillion. And part of that is uh, from the Belt and Road Initiative. Um, my question to you is, do you think these loans that China ha have given out, has it paid off? About 80 percent of the loans were made to countries that can't afford to pay them back. And about 50 percent of them are now coming due. So essentially, China is losing money on these investments, right? So China is now sort of shifting gears where instead of making additional uh, infrastructure 
loans. They're making like rescue loans and they're restructuring loans and they're rolling loans over. So I'm going to coin a phrase now. I'm calling it the reverse debt trap. The reverse debt trap. Would you like to elaborate on that? Yes. Originally, uh, you know, Western media and, and analysts were saying China is trapping these poor countries in a debt trap by loaning the money. And I'm saying, well, now it's a reverse debt trap because China can't collect the money now. Right. So so China is now caught in a debt trap. So these investments, it basically has not paid off for China. Again, yes and no. So what was the purpose of, of the financing? All right. So China tells the world, we're loaning you money to build infrastructure because we're good and the U.S. is bad. Right. So that, that was Xi Jinping's line. All right. So did he loan money to the world? Yes, he did. So he made good on that promise. Did they try to build infrastructure? Yes, they did. They made good on that promise. What, why else were they loaning money? They were loaning money to get uh, concessions, to get uh, minerals, to get uh, uh, oil, to get metals. And they wound up doing that. Uh, they did it to create jobs. So they created jobs for people. They sent them abroad to work there because a lot of the labor on these projects is you know, done by Chinese people. So China had a lot of wins. And these countries are all suffering now. They're all you know, in debt. They have to pay these debts back. China's the big beneficiary. You know, they're going to debt crisis, and that's where we are right now. So did China benefit? Absolutely. Is China going to benefit in the way that it planned? No. And you mentioned this earlier. Uh, by 2021, there were at least 57 countries with outstanding debt to Chinese state-owned creditors uh, that were in financial distress. So if some countries cannot pay China back, I mean, what's the impact going to be economically? So one of the things China is doing that a lot of people don't realize, these loans are very opaque. So the terms of some of the loans actually say that the countries have to put foreign currency reserves as collateral, and China has access to those accounts. So what China is doing now, as countries are defaulting, China is actually emptying those accounts. They're taking foreign currency reserves away from those poor countries, uh, you know, basically seizing those assets, but doing it very quietly. So you mentioned earlier that uh, China may slow down its pace of giving out loans. I mean, writing out checks was one of China's uh, big things in terms of ga gaining influence. I mean, without that, uh, what's going to substitute? Well, exactly. That's that's the issue. China had this diplomatic offensive of you know giving giving away free money, and now they're not going to do it anymore. And on top of that. Think about this. The countries where it will probably not give more free money are most likely the countries that most needed the free money. So that means that the poorest countries are now going to be angry at China. They, they are going to owe money to China. China is not going to be helping them. And it's becoming increasingly clear that China will only prioritize those projects that benefit China the most. And then your question was, what will replace that diplomatic offensive? So I have a bit of a theory that I think China is starting to review all of its relationships now and decide which ones are unsalvageable, and it's starting to cut those loose. So, for example, Israel. It's going to cut, cut Israel loose. I think it's cutting the Philippines loose. I think they realize Philippines 100 percent in the American uh, sphere, and they're not going to get Philippines back. So they're not going to try, whereas Mongolia, Vietnam or something, China's still trying to court them because they're not sure w which way it's going to go. So to put it simply, going forward, China will have fewer friends. I believe so. I believe China is going to have fewer friends and they're going to be uh, you know, stronger. They're going to try and make stronger ties with the existing friends, but they will have fewer friends. 
And let me just ask you one more thing. Hypothetically, uh, if we take out money from the equation completely, how many friends does China have left? So China only has one official ally. It's North Korea. It's the only official ally. Then we have China, uh, you know, what I would call this axis that they're building, and that would be Iran, Afghanistan, and Russia, because they're heavily sanctioned countries that are dependent on China economically. But if China couldn't help them economically, they would not be particularly interested in being aligned with China. Maybe they would align with China because they don't like the U.S., but I don't know that that's enough to keep them in that alignment. All right, thank you so much today for your analysis, Antonio Graceffo. Thank you, Don Ma. And that's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Don Ma in for Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you would like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you soon.